0: We're turning back to our study of Revelation this week. We started into it last Sunday. We're picking back up really where we left off, Revelation 1 through 8. Uh, We're going to read those verses again. We're going to highlight and hone in on verse 3 uh, later uh, as the morning goes, but we're going to start with those verses. Let me encourage you to open your Bible, get there. If, If you're visiting with us and haven't heard us talk about it yet and you want to participate in this series, there are Revelation Bible, there's journal Bibles on the back table, uh, I would encourage you to grab one of those. If you haven't, be taking notes. Uh, I listed a bunch of resources on Realm uh, last week, and I can provide those to you. If you're not on Realm, you just let me know you want them, and I will, uh, I'll get them to you uh, so that you can be studying as we walk through this. So Revelation 1 through 8, just a recap from last week. The main point of last week's sermon is that this letter is a revelation from our triune God to his covenant people about his work. To consummate His kingdom promises for His glory and our good, it's a it's a, a an uncovering, an unveiling of God's work throughout history to finish His kingdom work uh, for His glory and our good. It's really that simple. I think, though, that that's not how, sim- how how people approach it, and they don't view it that simply, simply because of the images and the things that are part of the vision, it, it gets really, uh, I, I think we feel overwhelmed at times, and it feels difficult and heavy, um, but it really is that simple. Look at you, Bob, taking two weeks in a row, man, loving that, thank you, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep uh, bragging on you for it, and expect that it will be, well, every week, um, then I'll have to remember it when you do this. But here, here in this letter, God is really, he is making known, he wants us to know what he's about doing in history. And he is making that known through his son, given to the apostle John, so that we can see that beyond the circumstance that we typically define everything by, right? Like you think about it, we define everything by what we can see, by what we experience, what we can feel, uh, what we feel in emotionally, that's how we de- define circumstances behind everything that we experience in this life. God is letting us know there is a spiritual reality that is actually truer, that is more real and more certain than the physical reality that we're living in, that, that, that this world is filled with counterfeits. It, it's filled with lies. It's filled with things that deceive us and, and lead us the wrong directions uh, and, and actually bring destruction if we give ourselves... Into them. This letter teaches us that to, to trust Him more than what we can see, to trust Him more than what we feel, to trust Him as the one who's sovereignly functioning and working in history. And so today, as we return to the passage, we're going to see more of that, but really we're going we're, we're to pick up where we left off, the very end of the phrase that we gave, I gave you last week, the main point of, this, of last week's sermon for His glory and our Good. We're going to pick up at that place for our good, and we're going to see, I think, it'll become really clear as we walk through this, I think it's going to become really clear that this letter is given to us as a blessing. It's for our good. It's meant to be a blessing to us, uh, and, uh, and again, I think you'll see that as we go through this morning. So we're going to read, pray, and then we'll dig in. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Father, as we step back into this, it's clearly John testifying, this is your revelation to him. Through your son, about your son, and about the work you're doing to bring your kingdom to a final conclusion. I, I, I just pray that your spirit would be with us today, revealing truth, correcting um, misperceptions, misunderstandings, directing us in, in a way and such that we, that we will know your blessing as a result of our study. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For a lot of people, I think the images that John uses throughout the book of Revelation conjure up something other than a sense of blessing, right? I think there's confusion associated with it a lot of times, a, a sense of fear. In fact, I, I think the idea is, uh, if you read it, uh, I, I just heard this phrase and, and I, 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 it just is in my head and I, I can't not use it because it, it fits the picture so clearly. If you read it, you just recognize we're all doomed. <laughs> right, there 's doom at the end there 's an end coming. the apocalypse is happening, and the the, the doom is that it 's unescapable right there 's a, a view in which we have these two I get into it and I start reading and I see these heavenly images and i can 't understand them and I need this this person to define all the I, I need the decoder ring to understand what god is doing he 's not giving me enough to understand it or or maybe we've heard it misinterpreted so many times and so many people running off into every little, every little nook and cranny and, and trying to define every little thing that's not defined clearly for us in the rest of Scripture. I think we've, we've often used it in such a way that we're, we're trying to squeeze our current events into the flow and images of Revelation. I think these misinterpretations, these misunderstandings have caused a lot of confusion. I don't think it's just confusion. I think it's fear. It's really the, the, the fear that maybe, maybe a is reading it and saying, there's nothing but doom here. I mean, you read the book. It's filled with war and famine and struggle and hardship. It, it's, it's filled with tales of beasts devouring people, right? It talks about a beast that's drunk on the blood of saints, There's a great war at the end, and there's going to be destruction and death, and there's a fiery lake that people are going to be thrown into. So certainly, as people read it, you you can understand why there's fear. And Some people, I think, maybe as they read it, part of the confusion that happens and part of the challenges we face is not just fear of what's being told about, but, but fear of missing out. Have been led to believe that revelation is supposed to define our times for us, and we're supposed to be able to follow this timeline. And I'm just—I just don't want to miss out. I don't want to be left behind. I just don't. I, I, we got FOMO about whether or not God's really able to save and serve His people, and preserve us, right? Like we're just scared to death. Somebody—he's going to miss me. He, he's not going to get me. I, I, I mean, I got to make sure I'm ready. We get all afraid, and so we approach it trying to trying to just be ready. And I get, I I think there's something there for that, but but if we really read this letter, if we really pay attention to what's being said, it's not intended to be confusing and filled with fear. In fact, this, this letter of Revelation may create confusion and fear in many, but was provided as a promise of blessing to God's people who hear and heed His message. It is a promise of blessing to God's people. Are there some people in the world that should be reading it and should be quaking in their boots? Absolutely. There's no denying that. But there are many people who should be approaching it and recognizing the promise of blessing to God's people who hear and heed his message. Now, I'm not saying that, that no, no one's first reaction re- When you get to Revelation, no one's going like, wow, this is amazing. I know people respond that way, right? I I get that. I'm not saying that no one says, we are so blessed as they read it. But I think if it, it, this is anecdotal. I mean, this is my experience. It's partly even my own story. That most, it, it seems that most Christians avoid the book because we can't understand it, it's just too confusing. And many people avoid it because they're just afraid of it, but not enough stand up and say, look, it is a promise of God's blessing. But I've actually found this to be absolutely true in my own life. And then I found that there's a whole group of people out there that actually promote this idea. In fact, one of the resources I provided you was from a woman named Nancy Guthrie. She has written a book on Revelation, and then she did a podcast. And I've provided you the links to that podcast so you could listen to her sit down and interview scholars on different aspects of, of the book of Revelation. Um, some of those podcast episodes, some are better than others. That's probably is true of any podcast. Maybe even true of my sermons, right? Like <laughs> Some are better than others. I get that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, the, the title of her podcast, the reason I'm bringing it up, the title of her podcast, the title of the book she wrote, blessed. And all the people that she interviews and all the people that she talks to in her podcast go back to the same idea that revelation is about God's blessing on God's people because he's making known what he is doing so that we can know it. And we see that. I mean, already in the introductory passages, we begin to see his blessings immediately. Right, We we, we see God is making known what he's doing through Jesus to John by an angel. He is making certain that what we can't see with our eyes becomes evident in his revelation, in his unveiling of what is happening. He wants us to know so much that he sent an angel to ensure that John heard it and saw it and could write it down. In fact, he tells him, write it down. Go and tell. We're going to deal with that next week. He he wants us to know these things. But then he goes on and he talks about grace and peace. There's blessing for God's people in this. I'm bringing this letter to you as an extension of his grace and a a promise of his peace. We we see that already in this passage. The reality of that the triune God, God the Father, the the seven spirits which I pointed out to you last week is likely indicative of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ Look at what he's called you. Look at what he's done for you. He loved you, freed you, made you a kingdom, priest to his God, given you a place and a purpose, a a new name as, as, as his people. Like, we belong to him. We see the blessing already, already in the introductory phrases. We see all the good that he is working. But we can also see the struggle that's at play. Because immediately we come to verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. And some of us anticipate that moment. And others don't. In fact, even those who pierced him are going to see him. And all the tribes of earth will wail. Even so. How in the world can we say come when, every, when it's going to cause wailing in the world? And we, No, 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 no. Even so, Come. Regardless of what troubles and trials come, even so come. Because his blessing is coming. It, it, we, we have it, but, but, but the fullness of it is, is coming. We get him. We get to walk with him. That blessing and trial already being displayed, even in these opening verses. And I, and I, hope, I hope you noticed that I, I intentionally skipped one. It's actually called out explicitly in this passage that we just read. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and keep what is written in it for the time is near. Over and over we see in Revelation promises of blessing. This is just the first one. Revelation is filled from start to finish with promise of blessing. It begins with a promise of blessing in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads it. Now likely what's happening is John has written this letter, it's being copied and carried around, and someone is standing in front of the church and reading it. So just imagine, we're taking this verses at a time, somebody stands in the church and opens it, verse 1, chapter 1, which those numbers weren't there when he wrote the letter, and just reads to the end. You want to do that? In fact, let's, next week we'll do that. It takes about an hour. We'll skip my sermon. We'll just read it from start to finish. That's that's what it, bless. There's blessing in that. There, there's blessing in hearing it and heeding it, like being the one that's being read to. It, it begins with a promise of blessing, but it also ends with a promise of blessing. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes right? They're going to get to eat from the tree of life. The tree that was forbidden to Adam and Eve after their sin, they're going to eat from that tree. Man, I don't even know how to get to that tree right now, right? Like there's no place you can go to get there, but suddenly in the work of God through his kingdom consummation, he's going to give us access to the tree of life that we might eat from it. Blessing. It begins with blessing. It ends with blessing and it's filled with the promise of blessing all the way through. In fact, there are seven statements of blessing through the letter, and it seems significant. There's 55, I think it was the, the number was 55 pairs, not pairs, 55 sets of seven in the book of Revelation. 50, I think it's 55 or 50, I can't remember the number, but a bunch of sets of seven. So it seems significant that there's seven statements of blessing, seven beatitudes Uh It seems like that's alongside all of the other symbolic purposes of the number of seven in the book of Revelation. It's kind of like the seven spirits likely indicate the Holy Spirit because seven represents wholeness or fullness. Not everybody agrees with that, but it it, it seems that, hey, from the seven spirits come grace and peace. It seems that that's really a recognition of this is the, the, the Holy Spirit of God because he's the source of grace and peace. The same way that the seven churches I pointed out last week, this letter is to the seven churches, and though they're literal churches, they're real churches, they're local congregations in these different cities with real literal problems, they become representative of the entire church at all times and in all places from the time of Jesus' ascension to the time of his return. Because that number seven demonstrates wholeness or fullness. It's likely that these seven statements of Blessing, demonstrate the fullness of God's blessing, the wholeness of God's blessing. Not, not saying that, hey, he's blessed you a little bit, but he's blessed you in every way. And even if the number seven isn't symbolic of that, we already know that from the, from the rest of the New Testament. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's not dribbled it out a little bit, he 's blessed you with every spiritual blessing right now, past tense, current reality, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms ephesians one three but so so, so we 've seen two of these blessings from revelation, so in the in chapter one in chapter twenty two the the second one is listed in revelation fourteen thirteen and I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Write this so here 's this voice this one narrating and telling John what to ensure people know. Write this down so people can hear it. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. How many times do we walk around talking about how, oh, man, these dead people, they're blessed? We associate death with a curse, right? And it is, it's a reality. This this heavenly voice, blessed are the dead, because their deeds follow them. God knows what they've done. God knows who they are. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. What that means is, quit trying to write your charts and point out a day and time and even a year or decade. Okay? Coming like a thief. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and may be seen unexposed. Blessed is the one who stays ready. Blessed is the one who doesn't get deceived and distracted and running off and doing all kinds of other things. Blessed is the one that keeps his focus on what's really happening in the world. Behind every physical reality is a spiritual truth, is a spiritual world, is a spiritual war, is a spiritual purpose, is a spiritual call. Keep your eye on the prize. Re- Revelation 19, 19, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're actually going to study two suppers that, that happen. We're going to study two meals when we get to it. One's the marriage supper of the Lamb and that's glorious. That's Oh man, that's going to be good. We're going to sit down at a table with Jesus and he's going to drink of, the, of wine again and we're going to raise our glass and we're going to praise him. And you know what? Every one of us as his people have our name there's a there's a spot at that table that's reserved for you, right? It's just like weddings. You got a name little. Got to go find your name tag. You got a tape. You got a chair. Nobody else can take. You got a chair. You got a spot at that table that, that you're not going to walk up and not not find your name. You have a spot there as one of His people. Blessed are those who come to that. There's another supper. Judgment. Is not going to be good. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over the second death, over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Blessed is the whole and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Now immediately that, oh man, they're going to reign with him for a thousand years. I know, I know you people that think about the millennium, you're like, oh, it's millennium. You realize, I mean, that's, it's one chapter, just a few verses. Okay? So settle down. Blessing is all the way through this book. All right? Blessing. Blessed is the one who shares in the first resurrection. That should stun us. There's a resurrection coming. There's something already about to happen. There's something on on the verge of occurring. Resurrection. And there's going to be people who are part of that. Who death has no meaning or power over their life ever again. The second death that's coming, being thrown into the lake of fire to be eternally condemned and exiled from God, experiencing only his judgment and wrath. No touch of grace, no common grace, no, no, no expression of relief or rest. A place where fire never is quenched, worms never quit feeding, weeping and gnashing of teeth describe this place. Yeah, you can see why there's fear attached with the book of Revelation. But blessed is the one who takes part in this first resurrection. Because that second death, they're, not, they're, they're going nowhere near it. It's coming nowhere near them. Revelation 22:7. And behold, I am coming soon. Well, this sounds a lot like the first one we read. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophecy of this book. Now, we, we've seen it. So it starts with a promise of blessing. It ends with a promise of blessing. We're just seven verses after the one we just read. There's five then spread throughout the book, repeatedly calling us to see that we, as God's people, are Blessed, and this blessed position, it's, it's, a, it's an adjective describing our position and condition. It's rooted in what God is doing and what we do in response to what he's doing. It's hard to overlook the ethical nature of these statements, right? Over and over, we see it. It's, it's hard to see that there's not some expectation for us to respond appropriately to his work. Revelation 1:3, God provides the revelation. He's given it to John to make certain that his people know. He know. He's warning them that I'm coming soon. This is the reason I'm giving you the revelation. I'm coming soon. It's near. The time is near. But what is the expectation? Hear and heed, hear and keep, hear and obey. Listen to what's being said. And don't just let it fall. Come on, we know there's all kinds of things we just hear and then move on, right? Saying, "Pay attention, listen to it." In chapter twenty-two, fourteen, God provides the tree of life, right? He's the one that provides the access to it. He's the one that lets us be uh, even approach it. He's the one that lets us uh, allows us the opportunity to pick the fruit from it and eat it. But what does He expect of us? We must wash our robes. 1413, I I mean, I called it out already. I mean, even the dead, before they were dead, they were responsible to live a certain way, and their works, their works, the way they lived their life shows who they are. And we need to deal with it. We talk about the gospel an awful lot here. We need to to break that out. We need to to deal with the reality of the ethical expectation. We we talk about the gospel so much here. I, I hope you're already processing and recognizing. Just in case, I don't want you to hear John promoting a salvation by works. We we, we know in the gospel, God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We know that he has justified us by Jesus' sinful life. We know that he has accepted us based on his, his, his son was rejected so that we could be received, right? His son was sent out, condemned to die in our place and for our sins so that we could be accepted. He's the one that transforms our dead, stony hearts into living hearts of flesh. He's the one who gave us the ability to believe, the ability and desire to repent. He's the one that starts that transformation. He's the one that breathes life into us. He's the one that enables and empowers us to do these things. And in so doing and in so enabling or empowering us to do these things, he actually expects us to follow through. If you have been made holy, he expects you to strive after holiness. If you have been made alive in Christ, he expects you to act like you're alive in Christ. If you've been enabled to approach his throne and been given access to him, he expects you to approach his throne and and, and access him. He expects his people to live in relationship, dependent, faith-filled, purposeful relationship with him. The truth is, every every person on the face of the earth is responsible for this. And every person on the face of the earth will be held accountable for this. But by the work of God, through his son Jesus Christ, he's actually made his people able. And being able, he expects us to live responsibly. He expects us to take up that responsibility and live in that way. And that's what John's building on here. God has done this. And because God has done this, you do this. This is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, working itself out in real time, right in front of this, right right in front of us. He is calling us to this because this is how we enjoy His blessing. In the same way that you can't walk north to get, let me say that differently. You can't walk north and south at the same time. You can't walk in the light and the dark at the same time. You can't say I'm alive and then act like you're dead. It, it doesn't, it, it, he doesn't allow for us playing possum, right? Like he doesn't allow us to fall down and pretend that we're dead. He calls us to live like we're alive. He makes us responsible to do that because he's made us able to do that. He expects us to, to, to live out Genuinely, what he's made true within each of us. So, baptism, the initial moment, the initial expression of our faith, is such a valuable thing. That's why we would teach, without feeling, without apology, we would teach a, 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 a baptism as a response of faith, a credo Baptist view. Because you're expressing what God has done within you, you're expressing in real ways, and genuine ways, what you want the world to know, I'm with him. I am covered by his death. I am united with him in his resurrection. And I will seek to live as he has enabled me to live. So we see these blessings. The reality is we, we can't enjoy these blessings fully if we're trying to, trying to cling to and grab hold of all that the world has to offer. And John is saying that this is the way that we know his blessing. Look at what he's done. You want to enjoy it, though? Walk in what he's called you to walk in. But now, here's the thing. I don't know that this is true, but I think if we took some time and I asked what it means to be blessed, we'd have a bunch of different opinions about what it would mean to be blessed. Because I think it's one of those Christian words we throw around and we use, and we have a general understanding or general idea of what it means. But what does it mean to be blessed? What, what does it mean that this, that this letter is filled, full to the top with his blessing? Well, there's two Greek words, actually, that are used for that. And we actually find both of those, there's really two Greek word groups. But uh, we find those words, both of them, in this letter. The first one I'm going to point out is eulogio, eulogitos, or eulogia. And the one we find is the noun eulogia. It, it, the other one's an adjective and the other's a verb. But when we find eulogia, it means to speak well of, to, to praise someone. We find that three times in this letter. And every time in Revelation 5, 12, and 13, and then in chapter 7, verse 12, each time is ascribing praise, ascribing uh, blessing and honor to the Lord. Right? So it's the idea of recognizing His glory and, and agreeing or verbally communicating His he is worthy of honor. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy. But that's not the word that we have in these seven verses that we just read. The word that we have, the word group that we have, represented here, and it's actually the same word, all seven, is makarizo, makarios, makarismos. R- uh, it means fortunate, well-off, happy. I, I, I think... Guessing that wouldn't be the immediate place that we would move to when we talk about God's blessing. We're a fortunate people. We are people who are well off. Not necessarily financially, but just in, generally in life. We are happy. It, it, we, we are, the, the word that's used repeatedly is the adjectives, which is, which is makarios. It's the middle one on, that, on the screen. It's the idea that he is describing his people as a happy, fortunate well-off people because of all of these things. And I know, man, I, 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 let's just own it, right? Let's just own it. If people don't think blessing immediately when they approach the book of Revelation, how many, of you, how, how many people do you think, think happy when they approach the book of Revelation? How many, how many people do you think, fortunate, well-off? Man, this is, this is so filled with all the good stuff that people are just fortunate and happy and well-off. I mean, consider it for just a minute. John writing this letter from Patmos. And why is he at Patmos? Because he's been exiled to that island. He's basically been arrested and sent away because he's a witness of Jesus Christ. He's preaching the gospel. And they're like, no, 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 we're not gonna have that here. You go, you go there He he identifies himself in verse 9, the the passage that we're going to start with next week. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Whoa, tribulation? That sounds rough. Automatically, I recognize that. About to be some hard stuff Happen. We get to the seven churches and Jesus is talking about the fiery trials and the problems that are coming. Be ready for them. Wow, man, I mean... Well, let's not miss this. Let's not miss it. Let's see the truth for what it is. Let's look past the physical circumstance that we define everything by and look at the spiritual reality that God is making known to us. The letter of revelation may create confusion and fear in many, but was provided with a promise of blessing to God's people who hear and heed his message. And this blessing equals our happiness. It's not Our blessing is rooted in what God is doing and what we do in response, but our happiness, our fortunate standing, our, our being well off, our happiness is rooted in what God is doing and what we do in response to what God is doing. So the people of God who hear and heed his message above all people should be the people who walk around happy even in the face of trial and tribulation. We should be the people who are rejoicing. We should be the people who are glorifying God at all times, not, not walking around, oh, man, God doesn't love me enough because I just had this bad thing happen in my life. Oh, woe is me. We, above all, all people, have reason to rejoice, to be satisfied, to, to walk and live in contentment, to, to, to express hope in the face of mourning. We above all people have reason to be marked more by, <clears throat> by the happiness that, that, that rules our hearts than the struggle that we're walking in currently today. This is not to suggest we don't mourn. I, I called out there's hardship, there's difficulty, there's difficult circumstances. but in the same way that God is revealing a spiritual reality that exists behind every physical circumstance, he is calling us to trust as as more true, as truer than our physical circumstance, his spiritual work in all of those circumstances. Be happy because God is sovereign. Be happy because God is preserving you. Be happy because God is giving you access to the tree of life. Be happy because even if you die before the first resurrection, even if you die, your works precede you and he knows you. Be happy. These momentary experiences that we live through every day, these momentary light afflictions as they're called by Paul, it's not that they're not difficult. I'm not trying to diminish them in any way. They are hard. They are heavy. I'm looking around this room and I'm thinking about the different stories, some that I just walked through this week with people. Some of the people that I've walked with this week aren't even sitting in the room, but I'm thinking, I, I, just, I know how heavy these things are. I know how hard they can be. But if we are defined more by our physical circumstance than by the truth of God's revelation, what is it we are trusting? If, if, if our heart is filled with mourning and yet can't rejoice that might be an indication that we are more satisfied and more, more de- we desire more the things of this world than believe the truth that God has revealed in his word. That this is actually more valuable to us than the promises he's made about what's to come. So the people of God who hear and heed this message, we have reason to be happy. We can be happy because when God, when we hear God's message, we can be happy because when we hear God's message, his word reveals truth and dispels lies. We've said it, I've said it a number of times, we're so quick to define everything based on, on, on what we can touch, taste, feel, experience, based on a circumstance that we're enduring right now. I sought to, set, to illustrate this last week. Uh, with the youth, if if I were to try to illustrate what eternity is compared to the right now, even to the whole of your life, let's say you're like average folks and get 70, 80 years. If I was to try to illustrate that for you by by drawing a line on the wall, I could start with a dot and say the dot is your life. Let's just imagine I I got a wide, got a wide sharpie because man, these are big walls. But I got a wide sharpie and I put a dot and that seems like a pretty big dot until I start to draw that line. And I get around back on that wall to that dot that's not eternity. I got to keep going. I've got to go around again and again and again and again. And I could paint these walls black with that Sharpie. Remember, it's a fat one, so maybe it's only a few thousand trips around this room. And that still doesn't express the difference between eternity and the dot that is your life right now. Think about that for just a minute. We can be happy. Because what God has revealed to us in His Word is that eternity for us is secure and the only hardship we'll ever experience is is held in that little dot. It's insignificant in the scope and scheme of things. It's minuscule. It's a wisp of smoke. But it's been years. I, I know. I know. But don't you understand, this is my whole life. I I know. Believe me, I know. But it's not. Quit believing it is. God has revealed something more to you. Your life is more eternal than it is momentary. He has shown us that in his word. He has revealed that in Revelation. Revelation. It, 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 we can be happy because this reveals good news to us. It makes known the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel message. It exalts him high. It shows us what he endured for us so that we could walk into life forever. It, it's a promise of God's sovereignty in all of history. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the God from beginning the, to end, the first and the last. I am always God, he says. Even now, right now, in your momentary circumstance, I am sovereign God. It's a promise of God's final and full victory. The suffering that weighs so heavily, the evil that seems to to have its way, that seems to win, will finally and fully be dealt with. It is a promise of, of God's per- preservation of his people. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, neither life nor death, angels or demons. Nothing, he says. You will be brought to the end. Put your FOMO down. He is not going to overlook you or leave you behind if you are his child. It's a promise that God will put an end to Suffering. He's going to wipe away every tear and dry every eye. Death will be no more. It's a promise that God will end the vain toil that began in the garden. Vanity, labor, toil that's fruitless and accomplishes nothing. It's a promise that God will put an end to that vain toil. The the exile, we will be brought into his eternal kingdom. And the division existed between us and him and us and one another, it will be finished. It's a promise that God will punish the evildoer whose sins have not been forgiven. It breaks my heart to think that there might be somebody sitting here listening to the blessing and claiming this blessing, but they've never repented of their sins. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. He is the only way, the only one able. Spirit, I pray right now that you would just transform hearts. From the beginning, the enemy has been deceiving us, been holding up little trinkets, providing alternate paths. Hey, look at this fruit. God's trying to keep you from being like him. God doesn't want you to be as wise as you could be. God's holding something back. If if, if you just had this, you'd be happy. Then you'd be whole. He's been doing that ever since. Man, this world packages its trinkets in pretty flashy, flashy stuff, right? Pretty noble packages. If you just had this thing, Oh, since you don't have it, you can't be happy. If you just had this moment, if you just didn't have this circumstance, if you just had this reality, if you just had this life, if you just had this spouse, if you just had this number of kids, if you just had this... If you just didn't live in this country, if you just had another president, if you just had another set of circumstances, if you just had... If we're not happy, it's because those are the things we want more than what we've been given. Let's just own it. Let's be honest. We are blessed. Beyond our imagination in ways that we still don't even fully have an ability to comprehend. I mean, even, even as we study the, this book of Revelation, what we're going to see over and over is that God that, that Through this letter, God is dispelling lies. He is revealing truth. He is showing us, yeah, the enemy has been doing that. He continues to do that. He sets up counterfeits. He draws you to those counterfeits. In Romans, uh, not Romans, Revelation 12 and 13, we're gonna, we've already seen the Trinity displayed in these first chapters. In Revelation 12 and 13, we're gonna come to the unholy Trinity, the Satan, the the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We're gonna see the counterfeit and him trying to represent himself, the enemy represent himself as a Trinitarian power to be worshipped and exalted, to be, for people to fall at his feet, anything to, to diminish the glory of God and remove us from any ability to really enjoy his blessing, what he's done to make us happy. D.A. Carson offers a helpful insight. I didn't put this on the screen, but um, I just thought I'd read it to you. The very genre itself, Revelation, apocalypse, the very genre itself is driving you towards a God's eye view of absolutely everything. You see what he's done for us? I mean, he has lifted us up on a mountain and he has let us see the breadth of what he is doing. He has given us a God's eye view of everything, climaxing in the most important division that will ever take place. Don't ever trivialize this matter and don't get stuck on some symbol where you can't quite figure out what's going on. Keep the big picture in mind. God is sovereign. He is doing this for His glory. And because He is, His people are blessed. We have reason to be happy. We can be happy when we hear God's message because His word reveals truth and dispels lies. We can be happy because when we heed God's message, we are living in accordance with His revealed will. When we heed God's message, we're actually living in accordance with his revealed will will it, it, revelation takes it places a heavy emphasis on the ethics the reality of the life we're called to over and over we see it. it shouldn't cause us to shrink back but for the glory of his name pursue living to the glory of his name it's in pursuit of those things it's it's in the pursuit of his glory that we're able to enjoy the blessing, the happiness to the fullest. Remember getting the lies dispelled and the truths revealed. I man, how many of us think that, oh, if we just get this set of circumstances right, we'll be happy. Well, let's illustrate something simple. If I just had this, this new car with that new car smell with all the, man, with all the trinkets, with all the stuff. I know this one's real because we're looking at cars right now. Oh, man, I'd be happy. And then pretty soon that car, well, it's not new anymore. <laughs> it doesn't smell new. It's just a car. And you're paying payments if you weren't able to pay for it in cash. Pretty soon that car you own actually owns you. Pretty soon that spouse you thought would make you happy doesn't smell so new anymore. You wake up and they actually smell bad. And they don't do the things you want them to do. In fact, they act contrary to how you would do most everything in your life. You know, that was actually promised all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Your desire is going to be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. You said conflict immediately.
1: Why, why, why are we
0: so foolish to think that we're going to get out of that? Because we believed a lie. Right? Man. You name it. We need these lies revealed so that we can act differently and so we can pursue different things. So we can live for the thing that actually is glorious and is actually able to sustain our joy. That will never, ever lose its newness. Will never, ever fail us. Will never, ever quit being a reason to rejoice. The glory of our God and Father and his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't always add up in the world we live in. It doesn't always add up that I, I don't run after these things that so many people say make us happy. The influence of the, of the enemy out there. Oh, just, if you just have this, you'll be happy. The influence of the world saying, hey, man, if we just have this, we'll be happy. Come on, you need to join us. Just be with us. And you're like, eh, that's not going to make you happy. That makes us stand out. Who wants to be that guy or girl? But that's what we're called to, to heed this message, to hear what it says, to keep it, to obey it, to, to, to listen to what it says and actually apply it to our lives because it's there that we find the greatest sense of joy. G.K. Bill, one of the foremost four, foreknown... Um, one of the most revered scholars of Revelation of our day, writes this, the message of Revelation as it unfolds is not designed to provide fodder for the intellectual speculation about the end times, but is rather a series of commands addressed to the present day lives of all who read it. To those seven churches and the churches surrounding those seven churches and to the churches of the Middle Ages and the church today, that's you and me. To the present day lives of all who read it, It's meant to be applied. It's meant to be followed. Prophecy in the Old Testament generally had two time references. It was foretelling of God's word for his people in the present and a foretelling of events to happen in the future. Revelation maintains these two features of prophecy. Those who read and those who hear and obey, its message will be blessed. They will be happy. This is the formula for your best life now. You want it? then throw away Joel Osteen's book and read the book of Revelation, right? It isn't as if we're earning this blessing. We've sought to dispel that idea. We've sought to set that aside, but by living according to God's will, doing what he says is right, that's where we enjoy his blessing. And though we may enter and endure difficulty in this life, we can still know happiness at the depths of our hearts. And brother and sister Christian, I will say this as gently, but as pastorally and purposely as I can. If you cannot find a reason to be happy today, you are believing a lie, you are deceived. Tell yourself the truth. Go back and look at what God says is true. Truer than your physical reality is the spiritual truth. You belong to him. And everything that occurs in your life is for his glory and your good. In the end, you will be made to look like his son. His image that was so marred by your sin will be restored. And you will stand before him. Rejoicing. Among a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that he has done this for. Tell me. That's not something to look forward to. All right. On the other side, if you have never trusted in him, if you have sought and found all the reasons to disbelieve and disregard and ignore and, and argue, well, I won't be surprised if I find out your life is ruled by fear and confusion and doubt in every other area. But I'm telling you, on the promise of the scripture, on the promise of God's word, that there is a better way. Repent and turn to him. Don't trust in your religious effort. Don't trust in the power of your flesh. Don't trust in what you can do. You cannot do it. But he has done it and you can be counted in him if you would just simply trust him. Let's pray.